So we learned a very important piece of information in statistical probabilities. Is it that the eugenics war was really a bad idea of world building? No, but that is a That's something we point. knew already, I guess. Uh, no, we learned that the uh, Dominion language is called Dominionese. <laughs> Which actually kind of sounds like a sauce that you would put on, like, spaghetti. That's true. But, I mean, if you think about it, it does actually— And Wayoon is pretty saucy. Mm, It does actually kind of make sense because—let's think about it this way. The founders have no language. Yes. Because of the nature of the Great Link, they don't need to verbally communicate. Would you just like to get into a uh, high theory linguistics discussion instead of talking about statistical probability? Sure. (laughs) But no, like it would make sense that they would create a language in order to speak with their subordinates because obviously they're not – it's much more symbolic to make the Vor to learn another language than it is to speak, you know, speak whatever language at the time. And so – and of course it would be called Dominionese because you know it's about the Dominion. So yeah, what else would it be called? Yeah, exactly. Dominionin. <laughs> I, I could go with that. Dominglish. Dominglish. There you go. Yeah. How did you feel about this one? <sighs> okay, so uh, you know, uh, as we've, uh, as you have pointed out, and certainly I've very easily come around to this, the idea of the eugenics war was something which may have worked in the initial conception of Star Trek. In the initial, uh, Khan was an amazing villain. Yes. Uh, they, they, you know, you, you certainly can't say that they didn't make the use the eugenics war for a good purpose, uh, because that definitely worked well. But with the version of Earth again, again, this, this doesn't really seem to jive with the Bell Riots plot. Uh, in order to square that circle, it's it, it's very clumsy, and the ver- the version of the backstory that DS Nine has shown the eugenics war is kind of an awkward. Awkward thing. and But they could have very easily ignored it completely. The yeah. fact that they have to make a point. Again, we, we weren't sure if. I think that one of the, one of the issues with Star Trek wanting to deal with the idea that genetic modification or genetic manipulation is illegal in Federation for very good reasons because of this thing that was introduced in the original series in 1966 about yeah. supermen and women genetically engineered taking over the world so it's kind of like all right what are we going to do with this and the next generation mostly ignored it yeah which i think was the right i call. don't think it was even mentioned or i think it, it may have been mentioned once but but it's may, sort of, it's not way. like we had a next generation episode where they unfroze another no and and one i think you know you kind of have to place this into a context of course because this was the time period of like dolly the, the yeah. sheep and so genetic human genome project human, yeah genetic manipulation cloning were big hot button issues at this time uh, look gmo at foods like gattaca stuff yeah. like that this wasn't the only yeah so I think that it is something that star, if star trek wants to deal with it i think it's a good thing I don't know if linking this to... I mean, part of the problem is that they did have this idea of genetic manipulation that caused the eugenics wars. So it's not like they could just introduce genetic manipulation or genetic engineering into Star Trek now without referencing the eugenics wars. So it it is a problem. I don't know if they really had a clear sense of what the eugenics wars were actually supposed yeah. to be like. I mean, because there's a, I think there's a novel that actually sort of retcons the eugenics wars as more of like a high level CIA MI5 sort of thing where like the average person didn't really know it was going on. And it was all sort of like subterfuge and Khan was certainly like in control of some nations, but he just had they, no one. See, like, now that doesn't, like that, that makes even less sense. It would make even more. I mean, I think I would be fine with it being like a, like certain sovereign States movements you Yeah, know, in the United States today, you know, number one, most of the most violent terrorists and the most wanted terrorists are all white dudes who want to form their own countries in the United States, but have those be the, uh, the, be the genetic supermen from, uh, the eugenics wars and so you know maybe it is a series maybe it is a little larger than uh those dudes up you know in oregon but you know still you're right it doesn't affect the average person right and so i i'm not saying that that would be a good retcon or not i just yeah. think that they never really made a clear 
distinction. It, they never really came up with an idea of what exactly the eugenics mm-hmm. wars were. And so to, to me, you look at this and you say, all right, this exists. We have to deal with this. I mean, I think I've mentioned this to you before. And, and we can definitely talk about this when we get to, to Star Trek Voyager, because there's a lot to talk about with Star Trek Voyager, especially. I mean, I think we'll probably end up talking a lot more about the problems with Star Trek Voyager and the problems with the the writing staff and the problems with the creative staff and the problems with all that kind of stuff more than we actually talk about the actual show, because a lot of times there's not much to talk about, sure. frankly. But one of the things is that there is an episode of a two-part episode of, of Star Trek Voyager where they go back in time to 1996 Los Angeles. Okay. And the eugenics wars were supposed to be happening at that point. They're not even mentioned. And so you kind of have to look at that and you say, all right, well, we have, and this had already, that had already aired at this point as well, because this was 1997, hmm. okay. right? So that had already aired. But again, so you can get away we with. We kind of have to like look at the evidence of what the eugenics wars are actually presented as in Star Trek. We don't get very much information about them. We don't get an, mm-hmm. and really any information about it in this episode. And I think they kind of were maybe taking Star Trek Voyager's, you know, example you, yeah. of, of, Hey, well, Los Angeles in 1996 still looked like it was fine, so I guess the eugenics wars actually weren't that big of a deal. Yeah, again, I'm I I think it's a better it's okay if Star Trek sweeps that under the rug because it was let's face it, there's a ton of stuff from the original series that never really, you know, bore fruit. Yeah. And you know, again, even given Khan, if they if the series doesn't want to do the eugenics wars, it can ignore them. We can probably forget it. The fact that we have a major character who has a however tenuous tie to the genetic to the eugenics wars, but a tie nonetheless, yeah. means it has to be there and it becomes the elephant in the room of this episode. Yeah, I mean, I think that I agree with you and I think that one of the I'm okay with the way that they kind of present genetic engineering or genetic manipulation in Deep Space Nine, specifically in Bashir and these new characters, because all we need to know is that it's viewed as a taboo. It's viewed as a bad thing. It's illegal in the Federation because of this thing called the eugenics war that happened a long time ago. We don't exactly have to know what it is. That's enough, I guess. At the same time, I'm assuming there are plenty of gene therapies going on in the world here. They kind of imply that they're not. I mean, and that's the weird thing, right? Is that gene therapy? I mean, how do you cure cancer without gene therapy? I mean, we're 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 talking about a universe in which cancer has been. Yeah, cured, I so. mean, I, I, yeah, I'm I'm saying something now. Obviously, there is a there is a real life slippery slope to this, but you know, my eyesight is is complete shit and has been since I was a kid. You know, if I were and um, if I were an unborn kid in the Federation and they were able to know that, would they fix that? Well, have you ever seen anybody wear glasses in the Federation? Exactly. So, you know, the impl- besides Kirk. Yeah. The implication is that there are, you know, these kind of therapies for certain, you know, things. Now, again, in real life, this, you know, when you go to uh, issues like, for example, autism, you know, yeah. that, that gets extraordinarily controversial for yeah, and I, I very was obvious reasons. Kind of going down that same road. I don't know if we want to get into a big discussion about ableism and no, you know, I, fixing people, quote unquote, and, and disability rights activists and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, you know, kind of far afield for this conversation. But but but, but that said, you know, the, in a way, I, I think the episode, I think that may be a failing of the episode, though, because the concept of genetic manipulation, when you get to it, to me says, you know, well, there is a line that most people would, you know, most people yeah. will say this is okay, and then a lot of people will say, well, no, you know, it's not okay to take this. Whether it is again in the case of you know autism, this is not you know something that it's, needs to be fixed in a way, or whether it's simply saying like that's playing God too much. You know, well, so- I think it's all. I mean, what what I see in this episode and what I see in in Doctor Bashir, I presume from yeah. last season, is is an argument from absence. Mm-hmm. Where they're saying, you know, th- the examples that they're using are increasing, you know, uh, uh, intellect, yeah. increasing reflexes, increasing all these sorts of things. Those are bad, right? We don't want to yeah. do that. Now, if you're using gene therapy to make someone's eyesight fine or you're using gene therapy to, you know, grow a hand back or something like yeah. that, that's okay. Yeah. You just, you can't, they don't want to improve humanity by using genetic manipulation yeah and as right. you know as was the case in dr Bashir, i presume it was implied that you know pre pre-manipulation um, well they outright said it they said he was dumb yeah. essentially I well mean, you know it, it, it's implied he was 
dumb to the no no I I'm going to phrase this poorly but it's almost implied as if he did have a mental disability yeah. that was cured quote unquote by this um and he had delayed you know cognitive abilities in, yeah you know, in a sense or development mm. delayed development I guess you would say. Yeah, and I think it's a very it's a very thorny issue. I yeah. I think that this is one and, of the And ways... I guess that's I guess that's, you know, one of the reasons, you know, one of a, a lot of people will talk about science fiction, well what's the point of that because you know, you're making up stuff that doesn't exist. You know, you know, we don't have genetic manipulation to the scale that it is presented in in this thing, but at sure. the same time, as I mentioned, there are real life lines that happen and frankly, there will be even further. I mean, since this show has come out, the Human Genome Project has, you know, revolutionized the way, you know, genetic stuff is studied. And so I guess the, I I see science fiction that's bringing up something such as genetic modification to have a certain responsibility to speak to the real problems of it. And I'm not sure if this particular episode does a good enough job of doing that. And so it feels kind of a shallow treatment of it. Yeah, I mean, I just don't... I agree with you, but I don't know to what degree that was the point of this episode. Yeah, and I'm not... And I think that, you know, Iris Stephen Bear has has gone on record as saying that he felt uncomfortable with the idea or the revelation that Bashir was genetically modified. Yeah, I and mean... And I'm that, like, that's... well, dude, you were the showrunner. Like, yeah. why did you let them do that then mm-hmm. you're you know you're in charge of the show i mean that that, that was my <laughs> like, question i always thought that was weird like that was my question i don't remember if we covered this were you on vacation that week <laughs> <laughs> but i mean that wasn't if you asked anybody season no one when season one was happening knew that bashir was created with this no it's a total yeah recon. yeah and and i guess that's the that's why it feels weird from his number one it feels it's also I don't think it's a. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. It doesn't kill the character of Bashir. It, I mean, you know, certainly, uh, you know, Siddiq is playing him in a slightly different fashion at this point, and he's yeah. a little more world weary, and he's a little more tired, and he's a little more whatever you want to say, right? But a Especially lot of that in is this episode, and a lot of that is Bashir. Out of everybody, is probably reacting to the war the poorest. He's the one who seems the most cynical. Again, I said when. When we saw him in the mirror universe, I said, "This is um, he's unrecognizable. He's cynical. He's nasty. He's and yet we've see, you know particular whenever we see morale low, Bashir's morale is the lowest. He takes this war really fucking hard. Well, I think Bashir is someone who doesn't respond well to to bad news. Yeah, and he's not someone who's really equipped to deal with it. And I think that we see that time and time again. Now. In this episode, I mean, well, think back to a few episodes ago where he was talking about how there's a, you know, X percent chance that the Dominion would take over the Federation or whatever, you know, and and you just kind of look at that and you say, okay, well, they were throwing lines into Bashir's mouth that were very data-like and they got away from that very quickly because Siddiq was not happy about that and did not want to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fine. And I think that having Bashir, you know, dropping something like that onto a character this far into a show's run and then never dealing with it again, I think would have been um, unfair because why do it then? Yeah. And this is not the type of show that would do that kind of thing. So it does, ha- it does need a follow-up. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that- the idea of the follow-up is dealing with that because we, we have talked about how, all right, but Bashir is still there. Like he does have a certain, privilege in a way and i mean they very explicitly talk in this episode about how bashir's been able to pass this entire time yeah and because he's been able to pass he has his career and he's pulled you know everybody around him is pulled in as many favors as they can and he's had no real change to his life from this and these are people who uh i i, I mean he he and in they t- well, look what, at you know. It's it's talked about how the doctor who worked on Bashir was probably a lot better, possibly more expensive. You know, knew his shit more than the doctor who who worked on these. The their Ill, various illness. They, they have names. Don't other them. I don't remember any of their names. Jack. Jack. Serena. Serena. Patrick. Patrick. And Lauren. And Lauren. Anyway, these people have. I have. A, I have a confession to make. I love these characters. Oh, I do too. I want to see like the st- series that you know focuses on them. I hope we see them again. We don't see them again, do we? Uh, no, they're great. Um, 
they very obviously have difficulties functioning in quote unquote normal society, and you know all of them. It was clear in childhood had various problems, which ultimately you know were were bad. Enough Whatever they're, they're yeah yeah they're, they're bad enough that their parents needed to confess in order to get them proper treatment. Well, here I mean here's you know let's not dance around this. I think that there is a. Uh, there is a level there is a level to which this episode is dealing with this as some sort of mental illness. Yeah. These are characters that are not mentally healthy, let's say, charitably. And I don't think that again, it bothers me because why are they being in the care of a Starfleet officer? Like it just I, I, they're I, not yeah. I, I, it, like it, to a certain point I'm like, listen, the Star- Starfleet is Starfleet. The Federation does have a civilian government. Like why are there why I mean I get it. And they my forget, question but... is my other question is it's a few weeks after the station was you know through the skin of its teeth rescued from being occupied by a power which very much wishes to occupy it again and is in the process of rearming. Is this the best particular time to take these particular people to this particular place? Like, timing people. Like, if this had happened a season ago, all right, before we're in active warfare, but... Maybe they burned down something. Who knows? <laughs> well, I think that you can see it most clearly in the fact that they stick them in the cargo bay. I mean, it's like yeah. they're not being treated that well, and I think it does raise troubling questions about the Federation's yeah, we complicity, don't... complicity in this because the Institute doesn't sound like a great place. I don't think that they're being treated very well, even on the station. Well, let me... They're not... I mean, they don't give themselves... They don't give them quarters. I, I, they don't know what Cardassia is. These are people who are... Well... No, I I think this is something that needs to be... They're people who are extraordinarily intelligent, who are extremely curious, who anything that's around them, and yet they've been kept ignorant of current events. They don't really seem to know much about the war. They don't know... Again, they don't know about one of the dominant powers in the galaxy, so... Well, to be fair, I think that it's not that they don't know that Cardassia exists, but that they didn't know that Damar was the head of the government now which you know i mean i don't know i i feel like on the one hand yes it's it's fair but this is not exactly minutia we're dealing with and these are not people who are unable to pick up a lot of stuff that's going around him so part of the implication i got is that they're in the institute they're not exactly getting papers all the time you know yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how far we can really take that. I mean, I don't think that it's really relevant to no. what the episode is about or what it's trying to say. But it is, you know, yeah, I guess it's weird. But it, it, I, I, then again, it doesn't really seem like anybody is that, like, I don't know. It just, Damar being the head of, now being the head of the Cardassian government is not the same thing as, you know, Himmler becoming chancellor of germany no no no. you know at the last stages of world war ii or something like that do you know what i mean like it's a little different because cardassia is they're not really framing it as a war with cardassia they're framing it as a war with a dominion and so i don't know would people really know that i mean some people would but it doesn't seem like it would be that much of a like if they don't know that it doesn't seem that weird to me i guess i again they and also frankly who the hell is damar well, you know, that that's part of You know, it's like right. Joe Blow from, you know, Munich becoming Chancellor of Germany in well, the end of World it, War II. Like, I mean, I'm going to put it that way. You know, they may not know Joe Blow, but they know that Hitler was the Chancellor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They like, probably know who Goldicott is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, 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 the, the point is they seemed like they were coming into the situation a lot colder than uh, any other character we've seen has come into the situation. And they situation. might not be interested in it. I mean, mm. frankly. Mm. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you look at it and you say – you know, these are these are people yeah. that are living in an institute. I don't think that they're being like, you know, shielded from the media or something. I think that they're probably no. All but I mean, you, I, able to to. Watch I guess I think of it the Federation's I, version of cable news, but certainly, but probably. I mean, if you go into a real life, you know, mental hospital, you know, they'll put something a little less stressful on on sure. the TV in the common room. Yeah, let's put it that way. So. Again, we, we, we aren't given 100% of a clear picture what the Institute is, but it is very clear this this is a place where they can away be away without harming them. I mean, remember that, you know, Bashir talking to his senior officers who know him very well, who are varying degrees of tolerance, but are who are all very educated and very professional people, and they're not even sure, you know, whether they kind of are more comfortable with the idea of 
people who have been genetically modified being away from things. Even – and Bashir pointing it out, everyone does say the, well, you're different. Again, Bashir is able to pass. Well, it's not even that Bashir is able to pass. It's that Bashir is not – doesn't have mental problems. No. I mean this is I mean, the real that's... thing is that they do kind of go down a road of yeah, these mental these, – these genetic modifications to these characters have caused – you know, mental illness yes. in them that makes them it makes them difficult to function normally in society, and that is not the case for Bashir. Yeah, I mean, I think that and Bashir- this is a you know, and this is a, again talking about real life analogs. That is a question that we in real life have. You know, how do you? There are people who have mental illness, but are much more functional about it. You know, Bashir, if he can, you know, Bashir probably gets depression pretty badly. He views things very darkly but he's able to he's still able to do the duties of a starfleet officer someone like jack who you know acts almost paranoid schizophrenic in a way yeah he is probably not going to be able to you know he his well yeah i mean i guess the real question is maybe we should start talking about the actual like guest stars yeah. of the episode because you know it is it is something that i find interesting because obviously jack is someone who would not be able to function well in normal society you know, he is, you know, the actor who played him said that he played him basically like someone who drank 40 cups of coffee a day. Yeah. He's, his brain is going, you know, a million miles. Yeah. Away, but he, no, is, he is kind of a paranoid schizophrenic. None, right. Yeah. None of them exactly are real life mental illnesses no. because that's that. But at the same I time. I mean, Patrick is basically a child. You know, his yeah. emotions are on the surface and he's not able to control them. Um, you know, Serena is essentially catatonic, yeah. you know, and so. Well, she's nonverbal. She's she not. Does yeah, that's see, true. And she doesn't seem to. Wants to talk to anybody, which, by the way, she has probably a really fucking tragic backstory. Yeah. But she did that, have a line in the episode that was cut. Really? I, I was like, all right, what's the one line she's going to say? What is it? And I was actually very glad that she didn't, you know. I think it was the right choice. Yeah. Because, you know, I was worried they were going to have her say thank you or something like that at the end. And it's like, no, you know, this situation didn't cure her. But I think a lot of the, a lot of the, action with Serena was learning how to realize that because she's not cat, you know, catatonic. Yeah. Uh people are just having a hard time recognizing where she is. I mean, she's able to figure out a chemical compound that can create Ketracel white, which is something that nobody's been able to do yet. I mean, and she also, you know, she's able to Well, keep, the Dominion did. Well, besides, but nobody in the Federation has been able to yeah. figure out exactly. Well, I guess, I, I, you know, one of my questions is that, um, and I do want to talk about the actual plot of the episode because I think it's quite good, but yeah. is that what is Lauren's deal? Like, because she doesn't seem to me to uh, uh, have the same level of, of mental deficiency that would cause her to not be able to function in normal society. I mean, she seems okay to me for the most part. Certainly, she's a little bit of a sex pot and she's a little bit of a, of a cliche, but, you know. I yeah, mean, the implication is that. She's not threatening to break people's neck like jack is she's not essentially a child like no the but the implication the implication is that she has i i and this seems more like a social you know issue than a mental illness but she seems to be unable to recognize when the part to turn out the sexy off the sexiness because of a of work i can that doesn't really make her unfit to live in society i don't know if she's acting like that way at a job that's going to fall under every sexual harassment uh policy that every any company would have I don't know. Would there be sexual harassment in the Federation? Nobody has to work. So if you're at a job and you're being sexually harassed, you could just quit. Yes, that's you can do that in real life, too. No one really has to work. We live in a welfare state. No, we don't. Oh. Um, and also keep in mind that these were – they were put into the Institute when they were children. We don't know yeah. if, if, if a five-year-old acting as Lauren does. Well, that is true. Yeah. Yeah, that that was my only thing. So I guess the the, the question is then, um, you know, the, obviously this this entire you know plot line was borrowed from from a Foundation by Asimov and you know that kind of thing. It was. Yeah, have you never read Foundation? I have never. Oh, okay. Well, Foundation is essentially this uh, trilogy or quadrilogy or whatever the hell it is. Tetralogy. Um, sure. 
we'll go with that, that is founded on this idea of, he called it psychohistory. There's this guy that lives in this thing called the foundation, and he figures out that mathematically you can extrapolate what is going to happen hundreds of thousands of years in the future um, through uh, looking at sort of like the mass scale of, of actions, right? But the problem is that you can't, uh, 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 you can't predict the actions of one person. So there's this guy called the mule who's a, um, it's very 50s sci-fi. He's huh. a, uh, I think he's a psychic or something, and he like causes the downfall of the foundation much earlier and blah, blah, blah. So that's where it came from. This was not an idea that they came up with themselves. Okay. Uh, and obviously it was the analog here was Serena, you know, making the decision to, to yeah. free Bashir and then Bashir saying, look, you couldn't even predict this. What, what would happen in this room? How can you predict what is going to go on, you know, in the Dominion War? Now, I do think that it is interesting that the genetically modified, you know, group of people, whatever you want to call them in this episode in Bashir, you know, Bashir, like I said before, has had the opinion that the Federation is doomed and has said as much. So it's kind of tiresome in a way that he's like, yeah, this is great. We're, we have to stop and, and you, know, uh, uh, you know, surrender right now. Where does that leave us, though? Whoa. Like what? Like, for, for Bashir, you mean? Or? Well, I mean, like for the war, for the Federation, for Starfleet. Like, I, I, I wonder, I like this episode... Um, I like the characters. I think it's you know it's entertaining to watch. It's enjoyable. It says something about Bashir. It says something about where the Federation is at this point. But at the end of the day, I don't know what it really told us about the ongoing storyline. It seems a little bit like spinning your wheels. I, I mean, I, 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 as we've said before, they have 26 episodes a season. They have to spin their wheels a bit because I think the episode – the episode, the objective part of the episode, believes that this statistical analysis can be helpful, but yeah. it's such a long run. Ultimately, they think it's bullshit. I mean, Cisco all but says that you know the stats are ridiculous; that it's a, it's the stupidest idea he's ever heard Bashir say that we need to surrender based on this data. Yeah, and I mean, this is a very one of the things I've always I, I, I've me, I've noticed is that I mean, the Federation does love to perform their analysis and their simulations and the dominion does too if we if we remember yeah um so yeah the, i mean let, let's be honest this group of superhumans is not the only people who are looking at the war and finding you know iron proof statistics about it i think the federation sees this one outlier group of people that they're kind of keeping as the experimental advisors and sees everybody else performing their statistics and seeing them contradict and saying all right well you know, good. That's our margin of error, and we're going to go with the. You know, well, and also, frankly, I mean, I think that there there is an element to which the Federation does, you know, support their analysis and accepts at least part of it. Um, well, be- but that that you know, well, pa- because past, the, past, his- past performance is no indication yeah. of future performance. You know well, what I mean? Well, so but, it's like, I mean, we're talking. We're also talking about a couple of different things. It is one thing to. Say well, here's how they can make Ketracel white using right. this planet. Well, I that's mean, that's what that's I'm a, getting at. Yeah, yeah, that's a very demonstrable, concrete thing. And saying, well, our statistics show we're going to lose this war eventually is, I mean, I think, yeah, maybe, I don't know, but the, the line about how Bashir says, well, our math makes it, you know, in the future, you know, it's more accurate than in the short term. That's the biggest load of bullshit I've ever heard. Well, it's it's also again again taken directly from foundation, sure. so you kind of have to just accept it. Of course, but I think that there is also a because of the episode because of where the episode ends that in a very federation way, an individual can definitely change something. Uh, you know, the individual has merit and can alter the path of statistics in a way, can alter the path of history. Um, or, you know, whether it's an individual, whether it's groups, however these, you know, however social yeah. movement is going to go, I I definitely ag- agree with the proposition that it's not possible to predict history that far out. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I mean, I don't think the you episode know, thinks that. Yeah, either, but, and at yeah. this point, you know, at this point, do we either surrender or do we look for what that you know what that random chance is going to be? And the Federation and the episode certainly say the other one is the way of hope. Well, I, yeah, and I think maybe the last thing to talk about before we move on to the next episode is um, the the one thing that I never really like about this episode is the fact that they kind of forget about the 
Dominion being there, and they just kind of don't resolve that negotiation plot at all. Oh, right. Like, they're like, yeah, we're going back and forth, and they want this planet, we should give it to them, and blah, blah, blah. And then they never go anywhere with it. You know, they we get this thing about the group of, of augmented humans, you know, going to Wayun and Damar to give them, you know, intel and, and commit treason, and then they're they're found out and et cetera, and they, they yeah. don't get arrested because it's a TV show. But um, at the end of the day, they don't resolve anything, so we're kind of left with this e- feeling of what was that's the point right. Of this? It's 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 it ends with Odo escorting Wayun and Damar, right? Off, and you know, obviously, oh, we would have you know gotten away with it. You know, nothing happened. If we only had world enough in time. Or something yeah, exactly, like that. and. Yeah, the but, but but I mean again, that's you're right. You know, these are major things. What happens in the next episode doesn't really pick up on that. You know, right? Uh, and also, I, I lied because there's one other thing I want to ask you. Um, how are you feeling about Demar? He kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, he did, and, and his story's not over yet. Oh, I I I I mean, I'm assuming because he now is in a very. Uh, I mean, I think the if the. We haven't talked a lot about him. No, and, so, and if if the well, because in a lot of ways, what I was saying about Demar is he he's very different depending on who he's with, and we've gotten a lot of his reaction, but we haven't really seen much of him on his own. And yeah, based you know if we can accept their analysis of Demar just by watching it, he is a much more he has much more complex feelings about what he's done to kill you know Zial and I. I to to a real degree, Damar is somebody who he was Dukat's right hand man legitimately. I think he genuinely did, you know, look up to Dukat, did feel that he was a good leader, and did what he did in order to. And now Dukat is, you know, in a Federation holding cell somewhere. With you know, maybe he's in an institute of his own at this point because he he was not doing well the last time we saw him. He'd been completely broken and. Now Damar is all by himself. The only person he has around him is Wei Yun, and we all know, you know, what his and Dukat's feelings were towards Wei Yun. Like, I mean, he's but Damar. Damar also seems a little easier to control. Frankly. Well, that's because he, you know, he's he's a lost little boy in some ways who just needs a leader, and the leader happens to be Wei Yun. And even if he isn't, doesn't like Wei Yun, he's the he's the only one who's. You know, giving him the time of day and telling him what to do. And there's still a lot of tension at the heart of the the Cardassian relationship with yes. Dominion because the Cardassian government and Damar still seem to be under under the impression that they're allies with the Dominion. But the Dominion is like, now nah, you're you're part of the Dominion. Well, yeah, I mean, Dakot may be may have been beginning to realize it, but he's out of the picture. They get to start uh, that relationship again. Yeah, and I mean, Wayun does at least like pretty much outright tell him like, you're not doing what we tell you to do and if you yeah. don't do that we'll find someone else yeah. to be the figurehead of the Cardassian government because we don't really care about yeah. it all that much so yeah stay tuned on that I suppose I shall let's talk about the Magnificent Ferengi so this is the Sierra Pasquale episode yeah I want some I don't know what that would taste like I, I figure it's like a lingonberry kind of thing I don't want that you like lingonberries I like this episode yeah it's fun it was the light. I don't know that there's much to say. About it was it. the light, light comedy episode that we wanted it to have. We've I've wanted this to have for a couple episodes. This well, is, yeah, because you know you are cordially. It is and it isn't. I mean, it, it, it's so I've never seen the Magnificent Seven. It has nothing to do with it. Okay, they I, just borrowed the title. I well, I, I thought they were taking the because doesn't that that isn't that a bunch of you know people on the outsides of the law and, you know, down and outs trying to do a mission. I mean, yeah, but I mean, uh, that, yeah, fair enough. It uh, doesn't really have any actual, like, okay. It's not like this is a mirroring of a plot beyond, beyond that premise, no. you know, which again, plenty of things have run with. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it wasn't a deep episode. It is. I mean, I like Ferengi episodes. I have to admit, I like that. We've got it. You know, I, I, you're gonna have to remember that in a few weeks. I know. I know we're gonna see some bad ones, and you oh, know, are we? Again, Ferengi episodes are best when the Nagus isn't in them, and and he was supposed n- to be the character that was kidnapped by the Dominion, but oh, Wallace Shawn was unavailable. Thank God. So that's a good thing. 
I I, lo- I think that this is going. You know, one of the things about Deep Space Nine in general, and I, I kind of talked about this a little bit um, online actually a, a week or two ago, is that you know they kind of got saddled with the with the Ferengi in effect. I mean, Michael Pillar co-created Deep Space Nine. You know, Iris Stephen Bear was not involved in the show heavily in the yeah. first you know season or two, and then he took over the show as showrunner and made it its own thing. So, you know, the decision to make a, a Ferengi as a main cast member and therefore a, a pretty big part of yeah. the the sort of fabric of the show w- was not Iris Stephen Bear's to make, but and you see that I think most clearly in the types of Ferengi episodes that get told in the first and second season, and the types of Ferengi episodes that get written after that they're much more interested in taking ferengi society seriously yeah. i think they do treat it as comedy to to a large degree of course but this is i think a little bit more of a serious episode than certainly you know something like ferengi love songs for example sure which i felt like did a disservice to the world building and a disservice to taking ferengi society and culture a little bit more seriously because it was a farce, and but yeah, it was, this but, it was de- de- but it was dealing with things that were way too big to be in this farce, and so it was undercutting a lot of the stuff that the show had done with the Ferengi. I felt, and this did the exact opposite of that. Yeah, this is. I mean, it's an action comedy tone. You know, at the end of the day, this is still a high stakes mission, and it is still something that it is a major thing that they managed to succeed and. It isn't, you know, but at the same time, it's you know, we're not taking them ineptly, you know, we, we right. Well, that's in the I mean, seriousness that's... of all of these characters. You know, it's funny to see them squabble, and you know, it's great. I, you know, the second I realized they were recruiting Ferengi, I'm like, we're going to see Brunt, and it's going to be wonderful, and it was, you know. At yeah, we. I I didn't expect to see cousin Galen again. We got to see cousin Galen. You know, it was yeah, a... cousin cousin Galen is apparently arrested for vagrancy on a federation world and he had a fine to pay which is like huh what (laughs) okay that doesn't make any sense anyway why are you putting him on a space station i don't know uh like they had they had that footage i guess they just didn't want to have to go to a planet yeah i I mean i think that that the setup for the episode is good because of course you know i don't know the dominion kidnapping moogie is fine i I don't know it's that's i don't know why it's stupid but at the same time like we need something to I, I want to talk about her and, and the Vorda's relationship because they <laughs> seem to love each other or have some sort of weird respect for each other or something. I don't know. She like waves goodbye to him at the end, which I thought was funny. Um, and also I have a very serious question to ask you about that Vorda. I, I wonder if you noticed at all. That it was Iggy Pop? Okay, yeah. you did notice. All right. I of was... course I noticed it was Iggy Pop. I mean, he's a terrible actor, but it was Iggy Pop fulfilling a childhood dream. So <laughs> I was just wondering about that because I knew this was coming. Yeah. No, like, no. I <clears throat> Is Richard even going to realize that that's Iggy Pop. Yeah. No, again, he 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 didn't have the most, you know, he's not the most talented actor, but he was clearly having fun and you know, for this particular episode, it worked. Again, that's kind well, of Well, Iggy Pop has a sort of very specific energy. Yeah. Very intense person that I think works for a Vorta. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it would have worked if they cast him as a Klingon. No. Or as a Ferengi, or as any other number of aliens. No, no, and I was worried that he was going to be one of the Ferengi. Yeah. So, I I think that, you know, it is a little bit more serious, though, because we've seen Quark's journey over the past five years, and this episode directly references something that happened in, I believe, Sacrifice of Angels, when Quark rescues Kira by by killing the two Jem'Hadar soldiers, and kind of like, that's the capper on that, that, you know, kind of journey for Quark in, in, in a way. And so... I think Kira is, you know, in that just in that one scene, we don't see a lot of the other main characters for more than a scene or two in this episode, which, which I think was the right call. But the one, just, the one scene that we see Kira and Cisco in, Kira's, I mean, she's always been of two minds about Quark. She's always been dismissive of him, doesn't like him. And that's completely gone at this point. She just, yeah. you know, she, I think she respects him finally. At this point, she knows that Quark can be taken seriously and... That there are times that Quark can be taken more seriously than others. I yeah. Mean, I, I really like that this episode, I mean, it begins with this squill syrup, but, you know, he's telling his... Syrup of squill. Syrup of squill, whatever. He's telling his fish stories, but, I mean, we've seen him, you know, I like when we get to see that Quark's actually done a deal and he's successful and, like... We get to see him competent at, at his thing. Yeah, because, I mean, Quark is not the best businessman, no. but he's okay at it. 
And well, part of the I mean, part of the implication about Quark as a businessman is that Quark is unfortunately saddled with a conscience, which provide which means there's a line that he doesn't cross right for deals. And that line is very off to the side. It's been getting a little closer as the series has gone on. But, you know, even before he opened his bar, he still had some kind of a so, you know, again, he, he and he would, wanted the Federation to come back. Well, I mean, yeah. You know, which why wouldn't you? Because the Dominion seems horrible. Well, but yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that. And I think that, you know, one of the things about that that really does ground this episode and why it works so well, I think, is that, you know, the, 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 the Ferengi are treated a little bit comedically, but at the same time, they are being treated seriously. You know, they're they're yeah. they're, they're not playing this as a joke. Well, he I mean. And yeah, Everyone you get the jo- little you know weekend at Bernie's moment at the end. But. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 there's, I mean, all of these Ferengi are on this mission out of greed, but it isn't cartoonishly one dimensional. I need Latinum greed, you know. Nog, they play on his greed for he's very hungry, he's very ambitious, he wants to you know do exciting things, you know, and that's the greed that they managed to get him on on this with. Uh, Brunt wants his position back. He doesn't care about being paid off, but he just wants to. He knows that if he manages to get it in with the Nagus, he can probably, you know, get back to where he wants to be. Like the the one assassin, it doesn't matter how much you pay on pay him for, but you give him a really dangerous, challenging mission no one else can do. That's gonna. That's what he wants. So yes, again, all of these are very ambitious and greedy people, but. Not in the traditional way. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly enough, the the, the assassin was yeah. in Ferengi Love Songs. Was he? I did not remember. He was just one of the Ferengi that was apparently leaving the, the, the throne room or whatever. So Okay. All right. Well that that's better actually. No, yeah, it works. I mean I think it's interesting that that, that kind of you know is seated there a little bit. Yeah. Um they're able to use those characters in different ways and discover some more about them. Yeah, and I think that that's really I mean, you know, what you just said is really, you know, Quark's point to do this right because he wants you know he gets obviously upset when they come in and they're like well you just did a good thing for the federation and we're the best people ever you know and everyone's like running around and being like oh jedzia you're so wonderful you saved us all again you know and quark is upset about that because quark is a little bit of a you know oh yeah 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 yeah. a little bit of a a spotlight hog um (laughs) but yeah it's his bar i mean true but I'll feel, I mean, come on, that story was not going to be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, you know, it, it's weird because on the one hand, I don't know how seriously the episode is. I mean, you never really, I mean, you don't, I mean, not for one second do you yes. think that Moogie is going to be killed or something like that. I mean, but there is a little bit of like Rom doesn't seem that upset about it. Like Nog is like, whatever, I'm not getting involved in this. I don't give a yeah. shit that my grandmother's been kidnapped by the Dominion. I got I mean, stuff to do. I like that the Federation – I mean this isn't the Federation's dance right now and it's – you know they, they only provide what help they can. I mean giving them the prisoner to exchange is a fairly major favor, but this is not a Federation mission. I mean and it's – Well, yeah, because they, they kidnapped a Frankie transport. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of like if I don't know. Do you? Do you where, I don't. What the, I'm talking about Nazi Germany a lot. This well, week, no, no, but, but it's, it's it's Ferengi jurisdiction right there. But and frankly, as far as the Federation is concerned, they do end up. They do manage to end up with a much better prisoner than they originally did because this one actually doesn't want to be a prisoner, and the uh, the Dominion actually wants cares about this one. I love Kivan the depressed Vorta so much, <laughs> and I'm sad that he's dead. Oh, although who knows, him. Vorta well, don't die. Well, they clone him again, so you never know. And that was but, a nice, but that was a nice uh, callback too. It was good to see him again. It's good to have. That have a function in a way. Well, and I think that, you know, uh, not to go too far afield from the episode, but, but you know, one of the things that, that I like a lot about Deep Space Nine is that instead of creating new characters that yes. we've never seen before to function in these roles for these episodes, they they go if back they can, yeah. and, and they go, oh, this guy, let's, let's use this because this happened before. And it is a type of serialization which, you know... If you didn't see Rocks and Shoals, it wouldn't matter yeah. that much. But having but seen Rocks and Shoals, knowing exactly who this guy is, knowing what he, exa- did. what he did and why he is a prisoner and what he feels about being a prisoner. I mean, knowing that, in a way, being sent back to the Minion is actually a punishment for him. I mean, that that's... 
that he does get a comeuppance in a way. I mean, one of the things you hate, it still allows Rocks and Shoals to end on that really bitter note, which it did, where, you know, he didn't even get, he totally got away with everything, you know, this guy didn't get to feel any guilt and doesn't, you know, and have that happen and just... I mean, again, maybe they go a little too far. He, we, we, we last see him infinitely hitting a wall, and you know that's not dignified at all. But, but he's not a dignified character. No, and I, I think that he gets the ending that he deserves. He deserves in a way. I mean, yeah. he's killed by who? Gala shot him, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's shot and killed by Gala, and then he's you know <laughs> a, a, a weekended Kivon yeah. moment at the end of the episode, and I think it's fine. I do wonder though about why the Federation decided to exchange Kivon for Mugi. Like, what are they really well, getting out of this? And I suppose... Well, I, he- I, I, I think, you know, obviously this is something that he did after talking to Cisco Again, Cisco, we can assume, has as many favors as he wants to pull. And this is a prisoner that has probably told them all he knows, maybe doesn't even yeah. know. He's useful. He Not that, I mean... Not that there are resources that he's taking up because it is the Federation, but at the same time, like, you know he has a shit-eating grin. You know he's saying every day to his guards, like, I don't even mind that I'm here. You know, what are you going to do? You're a Federation prisoner. This is nice. Let me decide what I'm going to have for dinner. Can I see the menu? You know, I'm going to spend the day at the library. Like, you know he's just being a dick so that you know that everybody's like, we're going to actually punish this guy. We're sending him back to the Dominion, and we're going to get a favor owed us by the Ferengi. Okay, that's actually useful. Yeah, I mean, the Ferengi do have a military. I guess they, they no. could join in the war at some point. Let, let me put it this way. The, the Federation is very happy to get gratitude from everybody. So, you yes. know, it costs them a lot less. And again, you know, they don't bonus to them they end up with iggy pop so that that's a that that that's nice you know you can put on a concert now now i'm now i'm like head i got a lust for for being cloned i got a lust for being cloned so i guess uh uh the one thing that i'm left with that's a little strange and 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 maybe it's not strange maybe it's just a a matter that the vorta have their own individual personalities but you know when when they killed wayun at the end of of i believe it was what the fourth season and um then they decided to bring him back as a clone. This idea of the Vorta being cloned yeah. came about. Of course, he's not exactly the real, the same person, but he kind of is. And and now we have Kivon who does not want to die. He he's you know they they reveal oh they're supposed to commit suicide when they get kidnapped. He didn't do that. He's going to be murdered by the Dominion. He doesn't want to die. So is that just to do with Kivon being a different type of Vorta than I Wayne? think so. I mean, all of the Vorta that we've seen have been very different. Iggy Pop is very different from. Kivon is different from, from Wayun, which is different from the one from the ship. Um, the Vavavum Vorta. I don't. Was that her name? Remember, she was like wearing a. Bunch I remember of she was Vavavum, but I don't remember her name. Yeah, I don't think she. Gave, I don't think they gave her a name. I mean, Vava could have been her name. I'm like Vavavum. I know what Vavavum means. I'm just. I thought that was her name was Vava, and you said, "Oh, that's you know," and you were extrapolating. No. Anyway, um, I would have gone for more Gazanga. Wow, but you know that's just me. Who are you, Sheldon Cooper? Yes. Okay. Um. <laughs> uh, no, they all have had different personalities, even as you know members of the Dominion, and so I know you didn't really like the one from the ship, and you said, oh, that doesn't really feel like a Vorta or something like that. But. I just felt, I mean, it's like, she I didn't appreciate the fact that she was just made up like some sort of pinup girl from the 50s. Like, it yeah. Was, it was like, what the hell is this? Like, I don't know. It just, it felt weird to me, is all I'm saying. Of course. And that, it's, well, we have seen a female Vorta. And if somebody is going to wear, like, a skimpy outfit, I'd rather it be Kivon. Well, yeah. Really? I don't know. I like Wayun myself. Really? Ugh, we have very different taste. <laughs> well, it seems like he would actually have fun. He seems really annoying. Oh, yeah. Well, so have you met my exes? Yeah. No, I haven't, actually. <laughs> and it makes sense because Kivon is depressed and I, I don't like fun or joy. So, yeah, there we go. Um, I don't know. We're ta- we're talking around this a lot. I, well, as again, there's nothing super heavy thematically. We could talk about scenes we liked. You know, Moogie and Iggy Pop is funny. Like you could, I mean, you could tell Sharif Moogie probably refused to be treated like a prisoner, and she's. I mean, even even Avorda and the Gemadar probably couldn't even you know belittle her. They're like, no, you're right. You know, <laughs> she does a good job. And I think that 
what's his name? Yelchin? Yelgren? Yogurt? Not Anton Yelchin. That's sad. Oh. Yelgren uh, respects her, and I think yeah. that they probably got along and maybe made out a little bit. Um, I don't know. Do the Vorta have sexes? Sexes or sex? Sex. You said sexes. Obviously, they do because we saw a female and a male Vorta. No, they have genders. Oh, my God. Why are you doing this to me? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, it's just a setup for an episode that's supposed to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and it is a lot of fun, you know, and, and, and it's I think that, you know, like I said before, Star Trek doesn't do comedy very well when it does do comedy. Well, I would like to applaud it because they do a good job in this yeah. episode. It's enjoyable. It's light. It moves in a nice clip. Everything is paid off at the end very nicely. This again, this was the light uh, this was the light comedic episode that i've want that you are cordially invited should have been because that was again coming right off of a very heavy six episode seven episode arc you know i want something a little perkier and this was i have to say i felt like these past few episodes have felt a slump um you're cordially invited sucked resurrection sucked and while statistically statistic probability sucked it's not going to be one of my favorite episodes. It didn't suck. You seem to like it okay. You didn't have any sort of opinion I didn't say about it, it didn't suck. I didn't say it sucked. I said, well, statistical probab... Pro- I can't talk now. See what you've made me do? Well, statistic probability statistical didn't probabilities. suck. Oh, didn't suck. Okay, didn't sorry. suck. It also still was not one of my favorite episodes. Sure. And, you know, sure. this was good. This I feel back. We're back. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's a good time for a lighthearted comedy episode because next week is um, pretty intense. At least one of the episodes is. But we will tell you what that is in just a minute. Because if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Check out our other podcast, Tuning In. The next episode on Firefly Heart of Gold is being released this Thursday, if you're listening to this. On Tuesday, October 11th, the day it is released. It's the last Firefly? No, it's not. In my heart, it is. We have one more after this, and then the movie. And the movie is, yeah, we just, you know, you'll you'll find all about that. The episode is Objects in Space. Yes, the episode is Objects in Space, and, you know, we record these a couple weeks ahead of time, so we already know our thoughts about that one. (laughs) We'll find out in two weeks, or I guess a week and a half, or whatever the hell it is. I don't know. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow if you enjoy our podcasting endeavors and would like to give us a little bit of your hard-earned money. Check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, truckaboutshow is our username on those places. No question mark. No question mark. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for Truckabout. It is the best way for new people to find the show and love it. New people like babies? Yeah, I'll take I'll take babies listening. That's fine. Oh, I wish Patrick would listen. I like that he's in a onesie. I think he reminds me of <laughs> yeah, he reminds me of that. Winnie the Pooh. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh yeah, Patrick's great. Yeah, I like at the end when he's like, "I'm Patrick." <laughs> it's gonna be my motto. I I like I said, I want to see a spinoff that's the four of them and they have an apartment. And they're going off on adventures. It's the half-hour sitcom version of Star Trek. Yes. Coming to you in 2019 after Star Trek Discovery. All right. Next week, we're going to be talking about the episodes Waltz and Who Mourns for Mourn. <gasps> Mourn may die. <gasps> or he may not. <gasps> well, he's going to die at some point, And why? We must be now. I hate Mourn. <laughs>